I'll tell you what, it's wonderful to be here this morning. The worship's been great. Everything that's happened so far has been encouraging. Uh, Hope Church, I am excited about what is happening. I get to talk to Brother Aaron behind the scenes, and he is just super excited about moving forward with you over there. And listen, we're just one big family. There's no dividing wall between the two. We're just one family. And I look forward to the day that you're self-sustaining, you keep growing, and people getting saved, and it's just going to be wonderful. And so stay encouraged. And Aaron can't do it by himself, but God has chosen him to lead that church. And if you stick with him, you're going to get somewhere, I promise you. If you open your Bibles, please, to Luke, Luke chapter 23, Luke chapter 23. The two hardest things for me in life to be able to do is, number one, eat mayonnaise. (laughs) The second one is preach behind the great pulpit of the great Pastor Brian Sams. But I'm going to do the best that I can. And if you hang in there, we've got some scripture here that I think will be a blessing and a help to you, and of course to me as well. When preacher asked me if I would preach a message on Mission Sunday, uh, I went through messages I've preached in the past, went through about half a dozen of them on giving. It would be easy to preach a message that I've preached before, but the Holy Spirit of God did not allow me to do that. And the Lord said, I'm going to make this a little harder for you. So I got a brand new message that I'm going to preach that I've never preached before. And I just want to tell you, this may take five minutes, 50 minutes, or five hours. I'm not sure, but hang in there. And I believe it's from the Lord. In fact, when I set myself a little timer here, not that I listen to it, but I'll try, okay? (laughs) Leviticus chapter 23, verse 22. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 22. I'll read the verse out. The Bible says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field. So what shouldn't they reap, church? The corners of their what? Of their field when you reap. Nor shall ye gather any gleanings from your harvest. Said you shall leave them for the who? The poor and for the who, church? the stranger, and then he declares, I am the Lord your God. So here clearly we see that God tells his people that whatever I bless you with, whatever I give to you, whatever I provide, I don't want you to take it all for yourself. He said, I want you to Make sure you do not take to yourself portions of what I have provided to you. Now, he doesn't tell them how much they ought to keep for the poor and for the stranger. He allowed them to decide. It was their decision as to how much of a blessing they would like to be. But nonetheless, in God's word, we have always seen the command... And God's people practice the giving to others and the helping to others. When you read the book of Genesis, you'll see how Abraham tithed, and you'll see how Jacob tithed. And then you go over to Exodus. I think it's over in Exodus chapter 35. You see how God had now given instructions to Moses to build the tabernacle. And in this tabernacle, the presence of God would descend down over the, uh, over the holy of holies there. And, and, and the people would be able to see God's presence and feel his presence. And wherever God's presence was, there was God's power. 
And God told his people that if we're going to move forward and I'm going to be your God and you're going to allow me to be your God, and if we're going to get somewhere, we need to build this tabernacle because you need my presence. Remember, the Bible teaches us that without him, we can do nothing. And he says, if we're going to move forward, then I need, and you'll see it in Exodus 35 later, those of a willing heart. Those of a willing heart. You know that people gave so much that Moses had to say, okay, enough's enough. We're giving too much. And God was able to do great things. Father, I pray that you be with us for the next few moments as we go through your word. I pray, Lord, that it would be a challenge to each and every one of us today. I pray, Lord, that we would not just be hearers of your word, but that we would be doers. Lord, I've already been encouraged as being here the last couple months to see the heartbeat of this church, the leadership, to see people strive and work unified to accomplish your will, to see people saved, and to see people encouraged. And so, Lord, I pray that no matter which level you have us at, at this time, I pray that you would put it on our hearts to take the next step to reach the next level. And may we have the willing hearts to do so. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people say. Amen. The definition of the word glean is to obtain, to get, to draw. This is probably the best word here, to take. And we see here in Leviticus chapter 23 that the Lord says, that which I have provided you, don't take it all. Leave some for the poor, for the stranger. Years ago, my early years of ministry, I've had the privilege of visiting different countries, being part of conferences called, uh, called the, um, oh, what's the name of them? Fires of Evangelism. And I got to go to El Salvador one time. It was a neat experience. But out in El Salvador... They took me from the airport in a little pickup truck. They do things different in other countries. We're so blessed here. They sat about six of us in a single cab pickup truck, and it took us over to somebody's house. Now, a lot of the houses out there don't even have rooftop tops. Portions of the house is just open air. They walked us through the house just a little bit, just a few steps, and we ended up sitting in their kitchen area. There was no dining area, but there's an open kitchen area, and they had cooked us some food. Now, I always worry about eating at people's houses, but I'm the world's pickiest eater. If you name 10 food items, nine and a half of them I don't eat. That's why at my church out in Texas, when people invited me out to eat, I said, no, why don't you come to my house? Because my wife knows what I like to eat. It's horrible. In fact, before we got married, I even told my wife, I said, there's something i got to tell you. She's like, What? I'm the world's pickiest eater. She says, ah, it's all right. I said, no, it's not all right. Listen. <laughs> and I'd explain to her. So when she complains now, I said, I, I warned you. I, I told you. So I was worried about what I was going to eat. But when I sat down at the table, it was me and a couple other speakers that were sitting there. And they served us food. Now, the, the food that they served us was very modest. All it was was two slices of bread and what I thought was some jam. 
What I ended up figuring out that the jam was some kind of water ingredients and some super shredded chicken mixed in there where it literally looked and, and the te texture tasted like jam. And they put it on that bread like it was butter and they put the top on it and it looked like a six inch sub with one millimeter of meat in the middle. I bit into it, and I'm sweating on my forehead. Say, man, I, I can't act like I don't like this food. <laughs> I bit into it, and it was no problem because you couldn't even really taste it. It was so thin. But I love bread. I'm Puerto Rican. Puerto Ricans love bread. Just like Mexicans love tortilla, Puerto Ricans love bread. And I ate that sandwich, but I stood hungry. I looked over to the couple that were standing and watching us eat. I thought that maybe they had already eaten. And I said to them in Spanish, could I get a little bit more? <laughs> they said, sure. Big smiles on their face. I have two more pieces of bread. They grabbed that jam, and they put it like butter on that bread, and they served it to me again. And the other two speakers that were with me, they said, we'll take another one. And they took theirs as well. There wasn't much substance to it. We were actually still hungry, hoping for a third. But we looked over and there was no more bread. I left, the, I left their house happy, had good fellowship. They never ate. I thought that they had eaten already. I talked to the pastor the next day and he said to me, Hey, how did it go at such and such couple's house? I don't remember their names. But he said, How did it go? And I said, it went really well. And he, and he said, did you all get to eat all right? I said, yeah, we had this bread and that. And I said, but I, I figured they already ate. They didn't eat with us at the table. And that pastor put his arm around me, and he said, Brother Hector, they didn't eat. They didn't eat. When he said that to me, I wanted to start crying. And I said, well, why didn't they eat? He said, they just don't have a lot. He said, they went without eating to make sure that you all were able to eat. And they were just so excited that you were in their home wow. and that you're at this conference and hoping and praying that God would do something yeah. here. And I left thinking about that. And as I look back to that story, this was a couple that said, God, with what you've given us, it's not a whole lot. But we're not taking it all. We're going to give to the stranger. And we want you to do something. The title of the message today is Field Corners Changes Lives. Field Corners Changes Lives. Now let me remind you, I understand that God is the one that truly changes lives. But God works through his people. When was the last time you looked up to heaven and you seen $100 bills falling from the sky? God provides through his people. Will we be a conduit? I want to take you to three points here, hopefully quickly. The first one, if you look at back just a couple pages in your Bible, look at Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus chapter 19, we're going to look at two verses, starting with verse 9. In verse 9, the Bible says, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, 
nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest, and you shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Roman number one I'd like to share with you this morning is this, the proclamation. What is it, church? The proclamation. God has proclaimed his heart of this matter. God has told his people, he has proclaimed to them that I'm going to bless you and I'm going to give, but I don't want you to consume it all upon yourself. I want you to make sure that you choose a portion to give to the needy and to those that are strangers and to those that are poor. And as long as God's people would follow the heart of God in doing what God asks, then God's hand could come down and bless and work through his people. And so we see the proclamation. Sometimes it's hard to swallow all the principles that are in God's word. Sometimes I read the Bible and I just shake my head and I just like, man, I'm not getting it right. I really got to tweak this. I really got to do better at this. Every time Pastor Sam's preaches, I'm convicted like, dear Lord, I'm the worst sinner in the room. And sometimes it's just hard to swallow. In fact, when this came to realization to me on following God's word and his commands was back when I was around 22 years old. I was driving down Highway 27 and all of a sudden, it was a two-lane highway, and all of a sudden the semi-truck in front of me jackknifed and covered the entire two lanes. I literally pressed so hard on my brake pedal that I felt like Fred Flintstone dragging my foot on the cement trying to stop my car. There was cars all around me. We're just cruising down the road normal. Like you would maybe on the highway up here. Was that 235, 295? There was smoke from skidding tires everywhere. All I could do was turn my wheel to the right and I just barely slept. And I can see everything in slow motion. And as I'm coming out between all the vehicles, all the cars around me slammed together against the semi-truck. And I was the only one that escaped the accident. My little Saturn vehicle began to bounce through the, uh, through, through the sand uh, there where all the orange, uh, 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 orange trees were. When my car finally came to the stop, I got out of the car and I was so nervous. I looked back to see what happened and all these cars jumbled together. And I was at the center and yet God preserved my life. That would have been crunched like a tin can. The ambulance came. I could barely stand. I was so nervous from what just happened. I remember them prying open the vehicle and pulling a lady out of her vehicle, just blood running down her fingertips onto the ground, didn't even know what was going around her. They had to hold her body up. There was a vehicle, a, Ford, a, a white Ford Explorer that had crunched to half its size. It was the craziest accident that I've ever seen. And as I meditated there, set, uh, sitting on my knees beside my car, I felt God tell me, Hector, I can preserve your life or I can take your life. And I felt that God preserved my life that day. I should have been gone. But he saved me that day. And I told the Lord, I'll do my best to serve you. And he's been so graceful, merciful throughout the years, because I tell you, I'm the least perfect. But I've always had a heart to serve him and to follow his word. I'm not the standard, he is the standard, but if I can tell you, church, Let's be encouraged to follow what he's asked us to do. 
And the heart of God is for the people of God to be giving people. Giving people. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. Let's see how God illustrates this, this command of field corners in his word. And if, if you look with me in the book of Ruth, chapter 1, Ruth, chapter 1. If you're new to church, it'd be Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, then Ruth. Give you just a moment to find it. In fact, we're going to go with Ruth chapter 2. I'll just explain chapter 1. So the story of Ruth is a beautiful, redemptive story. You've got a couple... And their names are Elimelech and Naomi. They lived in Bethlehem, Judah, but then a famine came to the land. And so rather than waiting it out and trusting God, they decided we're going to go to another land. Whether the decision was right or wrong, and I feel according to scriptures it was wrong, but they moved over to a land called Moab. And over in Moab, they took their two children, which was Malan and Chilean, if I pronounce their names right. Malian and Chilean were their sons. They decided to marry two young ladies that were not of God's people. So they were unequally yoked. They married two young girls, and their names were uh, Ruth and Orpah. After some time passed by, the two boys passed away. Actually, Limelech died first, then the two boys, and all the ladies stood as widows. Naomi came over to her daughters-in-law and said to them, I'm going back to my hometown because I see that God has visited our land and there's provision there. And I'm going to go back, but you all stay here. They began to cry and they said, no, we don't want you to leave or we'll go with you. And they began to sob and cry. And Orpah and Ruth both had a decision to make. Ruth, even though she was brokenhearted, decided that she would stay in the land of Moab and continue the culture of the land. Ruth made a different decision. Ruth looked over at her mother-in-law, and she said some very interesting things I'm going to share with you in just a moment. In fact, let's go there now. Look in Ruth Ruth chapter 2, verse 1. There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth, the family of Limelech. His name was Boaz. So Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him, in whose sight I find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughters. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, as she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to who? To Boaz, who was a family of who? Of Elimelech. Now, give me just a moment. I got ahead of myself. I got the wrong passage. Look in Ruth chapter 1, verse 16. We'll come back to that one. Chapter 1, verse 16. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be what? My people. And your God shall be my what? My God, 
where you die, I will die, and, where I, and, and there will I be buried. The Lord do to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. So very interesting we see here in this verse 16 is that when Ruth looks at her mother-in-law, she says to him that she took interest in God's people, she took interest in her God, and she took interest in the land in which her mother-in-law was going back to. So you've got these two daughter-in-laws. One decided to stay in Moab. The other one took interest in God, his people, and the faith that Ruth had demonstrated. Now let me say this in parentheses, church. Not everybody is going to choose Christ. Not everybody. But there will always be that one. And those are the ones that we need to be ready for as a church. And so we see here that she was interested and she demonstrated uh, interest. And, uh, and then now let's go back to chapter 2. We see verses 1 through 3. It talks about, and I already read it, but it talks about that now Ruth came to glean of the fields of Boaz. So Boaz was a very wealthy man. He had all this land. He paid all these salaries and had all these people working for him, but he made sure that his budget was set to where he can afford to keep things moving on without consuming everything for himself. And he left his field corners open everywhere. Number one, church, we see here the proclamation, but now we're talking about Roman numeral two here, the purpose. The purpose. And the purpose that we see in this story is that out in Moab, this godless young lady that had seen the testimony of God through her mother-in-law took interest, came to find out more in Judah. She came back. They were received by the people. She was hungry. She didn't have. She didn't know what to do. She didn't know where to go. But there was God's people or an individual named Boaz that kept Part of his land ungleaned. You see, God can bring conviction to the hearts of people. He's good at that. And the Holy Spirit will work in the hearts of people. And God has his people. But God connects his people with the lost people. And it is our responsibility to be ready to receive them. And in order to receive them, many times we have to sacrifice. We have to give. Are you following me, church? We see the proclamation. We see the purpose. And number three, we see the provision. If you look with me in verses 15 and 16 of chapter 2, verse 15 and 16, and when she rose up to glean, to glean, Boaz commanded his young man, young man saying, let her glean, even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. Don't stop her. Also, let grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Leave it that she may glean, and do not what, church? Do not rebuke her. So what does she do? So she gleaned in the field until evening and beat out what she had gleaned. And it was about an ephah of barley. And then the story goes on. But she was able to come in and be received. And she got what she needed. 
Could you imagine what Ruth thought about God's people? Could you imagine how that warmed her heart and that touched her heart? Could you just imagine her coming back home to, uh, to Naomi? And in fact, the story talks about it. she comes and she shows everything that she has. And she has so much that now Ruth can be a blessing to Naomi and, and gives to Naomi as well. And if you read the story of, of Ruth before, we don't have time to go through the whole thing. But she ends up getting, if I may, a modern word, she ends up getting saved. And she puts her faith in God. Because God's people followed the heartbeat of God. And said, we will not consume everything that we have. We will purposely budget. We will purposely set aside for that lost world so that they can have what they need. Church, I congratulate you. Pastor Sam has congratulated you. But I have seen it here for the last couple months. You're giving heart. But church, let me challenge us. God will take us to the next level. If we have a willing heart. I'm not telling you what to give up by no means. But let me just throw some ideas. Maybe it's a couple Starbucks coffee a week. Maybe instead of eating three times a week, just two times a week. Again, I'm not saying let the Holy Spirit lead you. Those are just examples that in the country that we live in, there are things that we can give up if we want to hit the next level. Because everything that we obtain here will be left here and it gets burnt up. You can't take it with you. You can't. You, you can pay all the luggage fee you want. You, you're not going to be able to take it on that ride, that heavenly ride one day. It'll stay here. There was a child of God. There was the sinner. There was the work of God. But then also there was the giver. Field corners facilitate in changing lives. You know, church, we would have no house if we did not give money for the house. We'd have no cars in the driveway if we did not give money to have that car in the driveway. We would have no television set if we had not given money to have that television set. We would have no bedroom set if it were not that we gave money to have a bedroom set. And even those things are great, and every one of those things that I mentioned I have, and God has allowed me to have those things, but I refuse to have so much that I cannot give to God for his work. When we set our budget, we learned this years ago, and you go through your bills. And I've got a little app. I can show it to you. Everything that I need to pay, the number one thing that comes out of the budget is always God's. And when I'm falling a little short, I'm on my knees, God. I need you to do something. And I promise you. He has always come through for me. He's always come through for me. The reason that you have a building here is because you've given. And the reason you get to sit on cushioned chairs and have air conditioning is because you've given. The reason we're able to flush toilets today, because it was a crew that gave. 
But church, great things are happening here. I can feel it. I can see it. Having Pastor Sam's is no accident. He and his wife are a gift to this location. Let me repeat that. He and his wife are a gift to this location. I teased him one day. I said, you'll leave one day. He said, no. His heart is poured out here. He loves it here. But I don't ever want God to take him. I want him here. I want to learn from him. I want to be challenged from his word. I want him to lead because he has a heart for lost souls. And since his heart is beating in sync with God's heart, and if God can see everybody else's heart is in sync, God will take us to the next level if we have the willing heart. So we see that it provided for the lost person. But here's a neat thing. This is how wonderful God works. It provides for us. You know, the more you give, the more you get provided. You've heard it a thousand times. You can't outgive God. You just can't. You can't outgive him. And Luke chapter 6, verse 38, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be put into your bosom. With the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. It's just wonderful, based on this verse, to understand that as God gives me, I can keep some of that and then give to his work. And God looks down, he says, hey, that, that's good, this is working out. Let's try this again. And instead of this, God, God may give this. Wow, God, I, I'm able to do more. And by just having, to, having this, I, I have more than, than the majority of the world. And I get to keep some, and, and then I get to turn around and, and give back to God. And God says, okay, this is working out. Angels, take a look. Now, now just, just use your imagination with me. Angels, take a look. You got to see this. And God gives. Like, whoa, where did this come from? And then you keep it for yourself, some of it, and then you say, well, let, let me give more to God now. And before you know it, you're walking around like this. Like, man, this is incredible. And a lot of people stay poor and without and are needy because God's at the bottom of the list and they only give to God when they have leftovers. And church, it should not be that way. I'm sure nobody here, people outside the church, but not here, right? Not here. But it provides for the giver. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or necessity, for God loves what kind of giver? A cheerful giver. There was a young couple years and years ago that went to their newer pastor, young pastor, and they caught him over by the side in the auditorium, and they put their finger toward him, and started waving their finger. And to their newer pastor, they started saying things like, we're getting a little tired of you preaching about giving. You're really asking for too much. We really don't have a lot. And, and this about giving, they're going on and on and on. And an older couple, while established in the things of the Lord, been around at the church for a good while, walked up and could hear them speak. As he listened to them speak, he said to them, may I say something? And the pastor, of course, is getting beaten down by these disgruntled members. And I said it for another 30 minutes. 
They were getting beaten down by their young past, by, the, uh, by, by this young couple. The, younger couple said, uh, the older couple said to them, you know, years ago we had a child that was very sick. And it got very expensive. We had to give all the savings we had to pay his medical bills. And he wasn't getting better. It got to the point that we had to sell part of our land and give the money to the hospital bills. He wasn't getting better. It was getting a little frustrating when he needed new shoes to be able to buy his new shoes because everything just cost so much. And they put their heads down. They said, and our son passed away. We don't have him anymore. And he said to this young couple that were disgruntled and were upset about the preaching on giving, and they said, now that he's dead, it don't cost us a penny anymore. But we look back, and oh, how we'd love to go back and, and buy him new shoes. Oh, how we would lo- love to go back and spend whatever money it is. We would, we would never be frustrated again, but now that he's dead, it cost us nothing. And they said to this younger couple, by what you're saying, this church will die. And when this church dies, when God's people stops giving, it won't cost us anything anymore. But anything that has life will cost you. And church, this church has life. And God is doing great things here. I mean, this church is not a little pinto running on $2 of gas doing circles around Jacksonville. I mean, this is like a full airplane loaded up with passengers and pets and luggage and moving forward, and then he's piggybacking two more airplanes on top of that to move forward. Listen, we're getting somewhere. But how's our field corners? Brianna asked me last night, forgive me if I get a little little teary-eyed. Brianna asked me last night at the table, she said, Daddy, when was the last time you cried? I'm not a big crier, I usually hide my tears. I'll tear up a little bit, but I'm not a big sobber. If I've had to do it two or three times in my life, I go private. And I told her last time that I cried would have been when we lost baby Tito. Baby Tito is, of course, my grandson, my son's son. About three months into the pregnancy, the doctors told her, your son will not survive and you probably won't go full term. So basically, if I may say it this way, and forgive me, Tito, if I say this wrong, she was carrying a dead baby. And she'd carried it for months. Every morning she got up wishing for a miracle, and it never came. I don't know what Maddie was thinking. I didn't ask her, but if it was me, Lord, just... Just take the baby now. They told her, just abort the baby. She says, no, that's God's decision. That's not mine. And she went basically full term. And for two days, our family held in our arms a dead baby. Baby Tito. I carry a picture. When you look at my phone, that's who you see is baby Tito. We don't wish to have him. But I could just imagine Tito thinking back. Maybe saying, 
if I can go back in time, I would pay whatever to have my baby. I would live in a cardboard box if I could just have baby Tito. I, I, I would live, I, I'll eat dirt just to have my little baby with me. But you see, when there's no life, it don't cost anything. But when there's life, it's going to cost. How's our field corners? Matthew 6, seek ye first the kingdom of God. We need to be kingdom people being a part or a conduit of building his kingdom. And by we're not waiting for his kingdom, it's already here. Now, not in physical sense, but in our hearts. And he will usher down that new Jerusalem one day. And we, he will be king. And he will reign. But in the meantime, we need to have a kingdom mentality. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We have a righteous God. And that which is right, that is what we ought to live for. And he asks that when we do these things, and all these things that we're worried about, what are we going to wear? What are we going to eat? Where are we going to live? He says, don't worry. Let me be your God. I'll take care of those things. But this is your responsibility. Seek my kingdom and seek to do those things which are right. I started a Spanish church years ago. Well, actually, I didn't officially start this church. I took over it. The guy before me, Carlos, you know Carlos, he started the church before me. When I got there, I did a head count on a Wednesday night of how many Spanish people were in that, my first Wednesday night service. And after I finished the count, besides my family, there was a total number of one. I did a count on that Sunday, and uh, after my total count, there was uh, about six, I think it was 64, 60-something people total. It was wonderful to have a group to start out with. It was a very young church, and Carlos had done a great job in getting that church started. I took over that church, and remember the pastor talking to me. He hired me on just like you did. And he looked at me, and, and he said, the church is not self-sustaining, but we're going to pay you a salary. And with that salary, he said, you just run with the Spanish church and not going to bother you. You just do what God leads you to do. He said, in the meantime, I'll be your pastor. If you need anything, I'm here. And we moved forward that way. When we left four years later, the head count on Sunday mornings were between 150 to 170, and the Wednesday night counts was almost 100. Now, now what, and, and amen, right? And this isn't about numbers, it's about me. What I'm, what I'm trying to say here is this couple right here that go across the country helping churches and have helped us already here at River City, they gave sacrificially. And that entire country church, that's a country church, gave sacrificially. People out there lived in houses over 100 years old. Their houses needed repainting. And yet the Holy Spirit of God led them to give out in the cornfields of Iowa. And they paid to have this Spanish church 
grow. About two years in, Pastor Larry Brown stood before the church and he said this. He said, church, for the first time ever, our Spanish church is self-sustaining. He says, all the cost is coming in from the Spanish ministry. Now, of course, understand there was no rent to be paid because it was another room they had there. But yet it didn't cost them any more money. But it was a church that watched their field corners. They budgeted. They decided if God's going to do something here with the Spanish community. And by the way, there's only 300 registered Spanish in that city. 300. Incredible what God did there. And only God can do that. Because of a group of people that watched their field corners and made sure that this ministry got started till it self-sustained itself. You know, that reminds me of the heartbeat of this church. As we look at our field corners together to help Hope Church get back on their feet. Oh, I'm sure they had glory days in the past, but we're not in the past anymore. Looking forward. And as they get unified and follow the man that they, God has put there and move together, look, they're going to give their portion, but we're going to help them and have already helped them. And we'll continue. The Spanish church, I thank you for bringing me from Texas and giving up my salary and giving up my house and my cars and my travel trailer. And <laughs> thank you. I'm teasing with preacher. I, I love to be here and I'm happy to be here. But thank you for having the heartbeats. And this is God's method by giving and looking at your field corners. And out there in Iowa, in those four years, there's a man named Elias Flores that was a drunk. I sent people down there to take the gospel to him. And one time I sent Salome. And he looked at Salome and he said, do you have, do you have beer with you? I ain't got no beer with you, with me. He said, well, next time you come back, you bring me, a, you bring me whatever, 24-pack of beer. Well, he wasn't there to drink with them. He was there to tell them about Jesus. But he didn't care about that. But one day, Elias ended up in jail. And I went to go visit him. And I said, Elias, when are you going to stop running from God? And he looked at me. He says, if God gets me out of this, the following Sunday, I'll be in church. Well, God took him out of there a couple of days later, miraculously, preacher. And guess where he was Sunday? He walked through the back doors. And man, I just lit up inside. Elias got saved, got right with God. And guess where Elias is now? Pastoring the Spanish church that my wife and I got to start in Texas. Because of a church in Iowa that watched their field corners. Oscar Linares in those four years had already spent years studying a secular uh, career, which was a good thing. But God had something different for him. And it was going to ministry. And God was able to use us as an influence to Oscar Linares in those years. And Oscar Linares is now in Florida as an assistant pastor because of a church in Iowa that watched their field corners. Then there's Obdulio Barajas. Obdulio showed up to... Iowa. Abdulia would sit in that seat, his arms crossed, and he just had the gangbanger face. Mondo, you know that look, right? He's got that look like that, right? 
He had that gangbanger look to him. And he would just sit there listening to me preach and like, what are you going to tell me, preacher? Three weeks in, that boy got saved. Amen. He was running from bullets in Los Angeles, California. Then he thought he could run from God like he ran from them bullets. You can't run from God. And God got a hold of him like he got a hold of Jonah. And Odulia made his decision and he got saved. In fact, I got so frustrated with Abdullah one time because he's had so much gang banging in him, you know, and where he was already trying to do some things. And I sat him in my office and I got some men together in the church and we got money together. I was shipping him back to California, got in his face, upset with him. He began to cry and said, give me another chance. I said, no. He said, give me another chance, please. And that was a wake-up call for him and he changed. Abdullah's right now getting support to start a church out in Texas, in oh. South Houston area. Yeah. Jose Frias was just sitting there in a t-shirt and jeans with his arms crossed listening. And now he is a music leader and a radio announcer for the Lord. Y'all yeah. with me, church? Yeah. Alma Frias doing YouTube channels, teaching ladies. Jose Mendez now has a church out in Quad Cities, all these people that the Lord allowed me to pass, they're all out in different places, and God did the work, but God provides through his people, and if it wasn't for those country people that didn't have a whole lot, and said, but whatever you've given to me, Lord, we will make sure we don't consume it all, and they budgeted, and they gave. And God's done great things that's flourished across the country. You see, God's principles always work. Always. It's just whether or not we want to be the group to prove it. With every head bowed and all eyes closed for just a moment. My question is, how is your field corners? That's between you and the Lord. Preachers, you come and lead the rest of the service. Amen. As Brianna plays, we're going to end the service today very simply. In this application, this card is your field corner. Okay. And so right now, as the piano's playing, it's really simple. What would God have you do this year to support the mission? So some of you already knew when you came in because you already heard giving. That's great. And I want to emphasize, if you are already giving to missions, you do want, uh, we do want you to put one of these cards down just so we know. Because I don't, we don't, we're not going to know whose names are on here, okay? Um, and if you haven't started giving yet, you can give. If you already give but you want to give more, put down the number that God's going to have you give. And while Bree's playing, here's what I'm asking you to do. Once you write that number down, just bring it to the Lord. I'm just going to encourage you just to bring them down here, set them on the steps, set them right here on this platform, and just go back to your seat. We'll pray and head to baptism. But right now, I'm going to pray that God will lead you once you write that number down, I'm going to invite you to come and put them up here as an offering to the Lord, okay? Let's pray. God, would you please use this, this service. Thank you for a great message. God, thank you for the fields you've given us and help us to leave the corners so the world can hear the gospel. We love you. Bless the offering and the sacrifice now is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.